Gracious God, as we gather in this place this morning, we hear the sound of running water. We are talking about remembering our baptism, like we do every January, and Jesus' baptism, and this great gift of grace that God has given us. Pour that into our lives here, the, the words of the new wine that we need to, to be. We can't have old wineskins to do that. We have to have new places, new opportunities, new starts. So pour into us a fresh portion of your spirit this morning as we gather in this place and challenge us and convict us and guide us and grow us into the disciples that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. And the people of God said together, Amen. So this is the first week of our greater things, greater gifts. It's kind of a, a toss-up. I kind of put them together. Sermon series. And today we'll be exploring how baptism is the first gift that God gives us. It leads us in life towards a path of discovering and rediscovering God's given gifts the next week. Then activating those gifts through the Holy Spirit. And then understanding how our gifts are interrelated to the gifts of other disciples in the body of Christ. And tying it all together and how important it is to stay true to the heart of our God-given gifts. The first of which is the love of God in Christ. So that we can do greater things for God. That's where we're moving through January and early February. And today it's that first gift, the gift of being loved. And so I invite you to look at the YouVersion Bible app and event if you're going to be looking at that, the scripture in your Bible in front of you from Luke 3, or follow us along on the screen. Verse 15 says, As the people were filled with expectation. The people in Israel were waiting for a Messiah. A king who would right the wrongs of their current reality and restore Israel. Many were gathering to be baptized by John in expectation that something would soon happen. That the Messiah was coming right around the corner. Expectations. How did your expectations this Christmas work out? This is not the Christmas season that I expected in my life. How was yours? Did it live up to expectations? Was it different? Think back to when you were a child. What expectations did you have? How are they different as an adult? As a child, what gifts did you expect to get? What was the excitement around receiving gifts? And do you remember at what point did you begin having equal excitement about giving gifts as well as receiving them? I can remember the joy of Christmas morning, seeing and opening all the gifts around the Christmas tree. Things like when I was much younger, Evil Knievel and his little thing that revved up and he pushed the button and it went zooming across. Or Big Jim and his vinyl, uh, his vinyl uh, camper there. Or Star Trek and they had the whole Mego set of all the people and you put them in the transporter and pushed a button and it spun around and they disappeared. Stuff like 
when I got a little bit older, we, the different stuff like Star Wars and things that were in there. There's another slide for that, Davis. The best thing I ever got during that time was the whole Death Star deal. The whole thing is all the way up. And you, you could play with it. And there are things to do. And the bottom is a trash compactor where they all got inside of it. And there's all this foam stuff and the little creature. And you, you turned it and pushed it until finally the door popped open and they got out. That was an amazing gift. I wish I would have kept that. I remember wanting immediately to go and tell my best friends and see what they also received and tell them what I had gotten. Remember that? Back before cell phones. and It was never a competition. Simply joy. Delighting in each other's gifts and what we had received and what we could play with together. And reflecting back, there was initial joy when I first received the gift. I remember receiving even more joy when I shared the gift with others. And we got a chance to be able to play together. When was the last time you received something and could not wait to tell someone? Maybe it was an engagement ring or a new car or the announcement of a birth. Often the full joy of the gift is not realized until you finally tell someone about what you've experienced, about that great joy, whatever it is. You hardly can contain it in yourself. And it becomes even greater when you share it. So like my dad's illness, you know, and, and going through everything he's been going through. It was as much to share the joy of, of what's been happening with him as well as the sorrow, you know, to hear the good stuff. So what about this gift of baptism? Some of you may have never been baptized. Later in the service, if you feel the calling when I'm going through remembering baptism, you can ask me and, and I can baptize you right then. Because by then we would have said all the words about what it means to be a Christian. You're welcome to do that if you feel God's calling. Or if you're not ready for that, you're, come talk to me about baptism and what it means more in depth. If the Version Bible app talks about baptism, there's a link to be able to more about the United Methodist understanding of baptism. Some of you were baptized more recently, like during our Confirmation Sunday in November. Some recently confirmed the baptism of their childhood. And for some, perhaps, it's been many years since you've been baptized. But what do you remember leading up to those moment, that moment? Or what did your parents or guardians tell you about that moment if you were baptized as an infant or a small child? Who was present? What did it mean to them? I was 21 and still in college at MTSU, had been attending there, the Wesley Foundation there for a couple of years. And during that time, I had come to know Jesus in my life, especially in the drama, in the music ministry that I was in with tech behind the scenes and sometimes acting on the stage. And it was during one of those first plays, Godspell. Have you ever seen Godspell? You ever watched Godspell? You got to wake up. That was the weakest little thing ever. Anybody ever heard of Godspell? Raise your hand. There we go. Wow, it's amazing when all of a sudden you participate. This is not a lecture and it's not a show. This is for you and it's for me. God's the only audience here, not you. And in Godspell, there's, there's a part in Godspell in that scene. And I was running the spotlight and I was turning it, the exact same spotlight as that one right there. 
in the exact same spotlight at Wesley. And I was running the scene and I was turning the red onto Jesus when he's on the cross during that scene. And he's singing. Oh God, I'm bleeding. Oh God, I'm bleeding. And so I keep turning it. And then he goes, Oh God, I'm dying. Oh God, I'm dying. And then you fade it to black. And in that moment, it kind of all came together for me. I understood that he gave his life for me. And I understood that he wanted to to give me a new life. And that I wanted the new life that he wanted to give to me. I didn't want the old life. I wanted a new one. And I can remember everybody celebrating on my baptism day when we were there. It was all a big blur and I received cards, one of which I kept in my Bible from back then, just in the very front to always remember that time. Back then, you know, we didn't have cell phones to capture the moment, so any pictures long since lost somewhere that might have been taken from a camera that nobody really had. But in that moment, we shared God's gift to us together. And there was great joy and celebration by everybody who was gathered there. And our joy was complete. Verse 15, the end of it, and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ's. At the same time, the people gathered were questioning whether or not John the Baptist was the Messiah. Already some of the disciples were following John the Baptist, not Jesus. And John could have easily said he was, and they would have believed him. Remember, this is John, Elizabeth and Zachariah's son. The one we just talked about a couple of weeks ago who left in his mother's womb when Mary, the mother of God, reached out and touched him. John knew his purpose and what greater thing he was called to do in the world. John the Baptist was a model disciple. Why? Because he always points to Jesus and acknowledges Jesus' power, not his own. In verse 16, John replied to them all, pointing to Jesus, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. How does John the Baptist characterize the ministry of the one coming after him? More powerful than himself, one of judgment and fire, as you read further in the Scripture. Much of my experience around my baptism has begun to fade away and remains a mystery, honestly. I've forgotten a good portion of what happened 28 years ago. Perhaps you have even longer. But it's a sacrament. It's a mysterion, which is actually the Latin, where we get the word for mystery. that God continues to help unravel this question in my life every year when we remember it. And what I've learned over the years is that God was always there and will always be there for me. Amen? And for you too. 
That's the one thing that remains strong no matter what. When the memories fade. In the Wesleyan tradition, we call this prevenient grace. Say prevenient. Prevenient. Use it on your friends. Go out to lunch and say prevenient grace to people when you walk around. You'll look intelligent. For some of you, the first time in your life. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a grace that goes before us and knows us before as we were knitted in our mother's womb. It's why we baptize infants and children in the United Methodist Church because God's gift of grace is always present in our lives before we can even speak for ourselves. God's grace is there. And just so to be clear... When we baptize an infant, that child is not taking the vows of being a Christian. Their parents take those vows. That they're going to raise that child in the Christian community until they get to the age of confirmation. And then you've seen that happen. And they take the vows for themselves. When Hannah was baptized, she did not answer for herself when she was in my arms. But God's grace was already upon her, even before she could speak. And when we baptize an infant, it's not a dedication. It's not a christening. You christen ships, you baptize people. It's none of those things. It is the only only baptism that child will receive in the United Methodist Church their whole life. Those things are not baptism. As I mentioned, my daughter Hannah was baptized as an infant. In my haste to take a picture of being a baptism, there's a picture in my office that I could just bring out and show you. I tried to digitize it and then didn't get up on time. It's sitting in my office right next to my desk all the time. One of the few pictures before cell phones that I still have framed. She was not baptized again during confirmation when they all lined up here. We remembered her baptism and the other baptism confirmands who've been baptized as infants. We didn't rebaptize them. We don't do that in the United Methodist Church. What God has done once, we don't have to do again. We might break the covenant again and again and again, but God never breaks the covenant. So we don't have to reestablish it. We can remember it. We can renew it. But being rebaptized doesn't make you any cleaner than the first time it happened. It's all about the heart, about being present with God. And we're all going to do that today, to remember our baptism the same way the confirmands did. And yes, even as she said to me, Dad, I don't remember my baptism. And I explained to her the importance of baptism and how that works. And the, the fact is, it doesn't mean that God doesn't remember our baptism. It doesn't mean that we need to either remember our baptism or to understand the power of baptism. I don't remember my baptism anymore. And I'm an adult. That doesn't change the power of it. Nor does the amount of water used at baptism matter. So that's not what saves us. We don't believe that the water is what saves us. It's the inward turn of the heart, the belief in Jesus. As I often say to confirmation classes and others, it's not the amount of the shower that's the power. So being immersed makes no difference from being sprinkled. The amount of water doesn't change what happens in the act. 
And if we're not baptized as children, it does not mean that God's grace was not present with us. A loving God is constantly reaching out, wanting to be the center of our lives. And although we might still have questions even into adulthood, we are directed to Jesus. Just as John directed those gathered who were seeking a Messiah. Because John knew he wasn't the Messiah. He knew who they needed to follow. And at some point, each of us usually craves more. A deeper understanding of life and our purpose in it. Like we talked about last week, to do greater things. To be greater for God and for our families. And sometimes we feel God calling and we feel a deep need to respond. And it's different for each one of us. For some, there is a distinct moment we can recall and we can point to, that's my moment of baptism, that's when it happened, that's when I received Christ and that followed. For others, it might be a series of moments over time, drawing us closer, closer, and closer to God. Whenever it is, no matter what age or stage, God's grace of love is available to all. And God's gift is offered to us without price. Amen? That it's the free gift. Paid for at a great cost. But available to all of us. And in those moments, water becomes a powerful symbol. We do so much with water. Too much of it can drown us. And too little of it can cause a drought. We use it to cook with, to clean ourselves up, to wash our clothes. And the millions of people around the world without access to clean water really know what it means. We use more water to wash our faces and our toothbrushes and shave than they might use in a whole day as it goes down the drain. They know what it's like because water is precious. Water brings life. But it's not the water that saves us and brings us the new life. It's our hearts and lips confessing and saying yes to God's grace. To be claimed and cleansed by God. The water connects us to the new life. To forgiveness when we mess it up. When we make mistakes. To wash us whiter than snow. As adults, baptism can be a moment when we clearly see a gift from God held in outstretched loving arms and we say yes. And through this gift we find newness of life, union with Christ, God's Spirit filling our lives in true belonging to Christ's community. When we're Baptized as adults, there we're telling that I belong to you, that I trust you with my whole life. And so Jesus showed us by being baptized that he was dedicating his whole life to follow God's will. He didn't need to be baptized. It's one of the two things that we call sacraments that he did. Baptism and communion. He did it in a moment to hear that small voice of God saying, perhaps I love you, you are my son, you're my daughter, I will love you forever. That's the kind of moment that we long for from God. And sometimes during this moment, a different feeling flows through us. That's grace. That's God's spirit. That's love. 
And from that moment on, we are forever changed, placed on a path following Jesus. And maybe that's what it felt like for all those who were gathered there around Jesus. Verse 21, when everyone was being baptized, Jesus also was baptized. Now you might say, and I've heard this quite a bit, you might say, well, I'm too old to be baptized. It would be embarrassing to let everybody know that I'm not baptized. I'm an adult. But when Jesus was an adult, age 30, he was baptized with many people, all looking at him by John in the Jordan River. And he was the Son of God. So there is that. You might be in good company to follow along in Jesus' steps with your life. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. Do you notice what Jesus was doing when heaven was opened? What's he doing? Praying. He's praying. As Jesus prayed, he talked to God in his heart. The Bible doesn't tell us what he prayed then. But it makes the point that it happened while he was praying. He was praying. And why do you think that's so important that happens in the story? Because Jesus' practice of being in prayer demonstrates Jesus' intimate relationship with the Father. And that what happens next is the result of being faithful in baptism and in prayer. Because prayer is one of the greater things that we can do for God. It costs us nothing except our time and our focus. So that we actually focus in on God and not on each other and not on our own lives or anything else. But we just focus on God. And put God first. And God answered Jesus in wonderful ways that the crowd could see and hear this particular version. And the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. You see, God sent from heaven the Holy Spirit. Who in that moment looked like a dove landing on Jesus. And there was a voice from heaven. You are my son whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. Or other versions well pleased. God's voice said aloud. That Jesus is God's beloved son. That Jesus is God's well loved child. That it pleases God that Jesus trusts And obeys God. And that makes God glad. Think about this. That being God's beloved is the core of who I am. That being God's beloved is the core of who you are. You see. How does it make me feel? How does it make you feel? Do you feel blessed, ashamed, guilty, conflicted, speechless, something else? Henry Nouwen wrote this. He said, self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life. 
because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. Let that soak in. We need to find a way to remind ourselves that we are one of God's beloved children. This might mean placing a sticky note with the word beloved on your bathroom mirror. Or maybe it's a wallpaper on your computer or a home screen on your cell phone or your Apple Watch. Or a reminder that comes up every day in your electronic devices that says, I am beloved. We all need some kind of reminder that reminds us that we are the beloved of God. That God loves each one of us and welcomes us into God's family through baptism. That we trust God to be with us our whole lives. Even if we don't see the Holy Spirit like a dove. Maybe in your baptism like mine, there wasn't this moment in which the sun just poured forth and a dove came down and descended upon you. Maybe there was. Maybe you felt a lot. Maybe you felt nothing different. And so I want you to do something that may feel very awkward or like what I like to call the Stuart Smalley Saturday Night Live routine. Remember this guy? Stuart Smalley. Gosh darn it, I am good. I'm liked. I'm, what, 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 Debbie? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. The problem is, is that it's a caricature, but most of us never receive or give positive compliments to one another face to face. You ever done the experience of having to look in a mirror and talk about yourself in front of you? It's hard. It's really, really hard because we're not taught to do that. So what I want you to do is I want you to say to yourself, I am God's well-loved child first. I want you to say it out loud. You can't really look at yourself. That would be a little hard. But I want you to at least to envision that you're saying it to yourself. But I want you to say it out loud. I want you to say, I am God's well-loved child. We'll practice it once so you can get it right, and then we'll do it for real. Here we go. I am God's well-loved child. Okay, you got it down. It's not Okay, here we go. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to picture you talking to yourself. Hello, self. And I want you to say, I am God's well-loved child. Here we go. Close your eyes. Picture yourself. I am God's well-loved child. Say it again. I am God's well-loved child. One more time. I am God's well-loved child. So now I want you to turn next to somebody who's next to you. And I want you to say to them, you are God's well-loved child. In this case, I want you to look them in the eye. You don't have to touch them. If it's your spouse the first time, find somebody else, do it again. And find somebody who's not your spouse or a member of your family. And hopefully you're telling your family that you love them and that they are God's children. So we're going to do it first to make it a little easier, but then pick somebody else out after that. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. So the first time, say it to the person next to you, if it's a spouse, whoever else. 
I want you to say, you are God's well-loved child at the same time. Okay? Look at them. Look at them. Say, you are God's well-loved child. Then I want you to find a second person next to you and say, you are God's well-loved child. If you got a third person, say it to them too. They need to hear it again. So I was watching a movie that most of you probably haven't ever seen, or maybe a few of you saw, called The 1517 to Paris. Anybody seen it? 1517? You guys saw it? You got in your library, don't you? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, James. So The 1517 to Paris is a true story with the three real men who did it, playing themselves, about a terrorist hijacking that was foiled on the Paris train. Happened in 2015. It's a blip on our radar of history. And this is what I found interesting about this movie. These three guys have been together since the age of eight, in out of trouble, Christian school, in and out. Two are in the military. But they often always felt they were being prepared by God to do greater things. It even says that in the movie. That that's, they feel like a calling from God that they're supposed to do greater things. And they keep failing at things right and left. One of the guys uh, wanted to be a pararescue person, couldn't pass it because of debt perception, had to go into being a medic instead, which was not what he wanted to do. Other guys just sitting out in Afghanistan, that sort of thing. Third guy's in college. And so it's interesting, the third guy who's in college, they don't tell you this in the movie, but you could find he's a pastor's son. And this is what he says in that little quote right there, on the train that day, God had his hand on us, is what Anthony says. I really encourage you to look at this movie. It says, it's like our lives were leading up to that moment. You don't always know what plan God has for you. What we've come to realize with hindsight is that this was all part of a bigger picture. That's where we were supposed to be that day. And if you watch the movie, there are several things that happen in it that are just completely a miracle. Just completely the way things happened that day. One of those is because he failed out of pararescue, he was trained as a medic. So when somebody got shot, guess what he could do? He kept him alive. And so it's very interesting to see that whole piece of it, of what they were supposed to do. And that's kind of how it works. Interestingly enough, that there's this greater things happen because we're being used by God to do greater things. A lot of that, and knowing what the greater things are, comes out of our understanding of who we are and whose we are. And so it's always an opportunity every year in January to remember whose we are and who we are. Sometimes we forget. And we need to remember. And so I invite you to turn to some page in your hymnal, which I always forget and somebody always tells me, about remembering your baptism. Where's the baptism liturgy in there? Page 15, 45, something like that? 50, thank you. Look at you. You're all on it. Well, see, look at that. It's not page 50 in my book. There are only five different services in the Methodist hymnal for baptism.
Everybody found it? Hey, look, look, Debbie, if I look at my book, I've actually written it down what page it is. <laughs> so we do parts that just follow along with me, and I'll, I'll keep you together on this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We incorporate into God's mighty acts of salvation and give a new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Through the reaffirmation of our faith, we renew the covenant declared at our baptism, acknowledge what God is doing for us, and affirm our commitment to Christ's holy church. And so on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If you do, say, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If you do, say, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? If you do, say, I do. According to the grace given to you, Will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? If you will, say, I will. And let us join together in professing the Christian faith that's contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Let us stand together as we affirm our faith. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? You may be seated. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth the light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John, anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all the nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit and by this gift of water call to our remembrance the grace declared to us in our baptism. For you have washed away our sins and you clothe us with righteousness throughout our lives that dying and rising with Christ we may share in his final victory. 
And so this morning we come together, we'll be kneeling at the rails this morning to be able to do this, and we'll also receive communion afterwards. As it says in the back of the bulletin, you are welcome to do whatever part of this you feel ready to do. If you're not baptized, you're still welcome to come forward. Nothing I do this morning, unless you ask me to baptize you by lifting a hand, will in any way whatsoever be constitute being baptized. If you haven't been baptized, I can make a sign of the cross on your forehead with the water like I do for everybody else. And maybe that might make you think about what it means to be baptized. That grace is available to everyone. One of the things we'll also be doing as we come forward is something we did a couple of years ago. We didn't do it last year, but... Hmm, you got a color I can see. These are full of water. These are this big when they start. And so one of the things that we did a couple of years ago, which are very impactful, was... That's what all these cups are for. You're not drinking that much grape juice this morning. Is you put this someplace in your house where you can see it. What's going to happen to it is, is that over time, it depends on what, what it decides it wants to do, it's going to lose all of its liquid. And it's going to continue to shrink back down to the size of a mustard seed just about. This is your spiritual life. If it's not constantly worked on, if it's not constantly infused with the living, the holding holy water of Jesus, if it's not constantly you're praying and reading your scripture and studying and gathering together in community, if you're not doing those things, just like this without the water of life, we'll go back down, so will you. Until you become dry, you can easily just roll away. Your job is like a chia pet. Or something else. Your job is to keep this thing alive for as long as you can. And also to look at it. Because if you forget, it will go down. And just like our spiritual life is the exact same way. If you forget, your spiritual life will go down. Now don't freak out when you reach into the bowl. They feel weird. They're sensory beads. They feel very weird. Um, But yeah, it's a good reminder for us. Make sure you put it in the cup, otherwise you're not going to make it out of the sanctuary alive with it. And uh, so we've had that experience before too. That's why we use cups now. So we're going to end up calling you. It's just going to be, we don't have ushers for this or anything like that, but it's going to be, you know, just simply, you know, Everybody goes along each one of their sections and just fills it up. So you, Chris will start us off and go down here and go that way. Debbie will start us off and go down that way. And, uh, what, you fall? Yeah, Kim will. I want praise him to come up first, though. Stephen. Stephen. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out who's in praise team and who's not. Cassie will go with, go with Stephen. All right? You understand this? So I'm going to... First thing I'm going to do is put the sign of the cross on your forehead with the water. Then you'll receive, grab one of those out of the bowl. And then communion's right behind it. So let the praise team come forward first to be able to, why don't you guys just gather at one side. Remember your baptisms first. And Shelly's assisting me, I believe. Shelly, come on up. 
And communion team, if you'll come on up, whoever has chosen to do communion. Yes, I can do that. I've blessed the water. Gracious God, may this bread and this juice be for us the reminders and the example of what it means to be loved by you. May as they're broken and given to us, may they show us new life. The same way that this water reminds us of the new life you've given to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray and people of God said together, Amen. Remember your baptism and be thankful and rejoice. Remember your baptism 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 and rejoice. And as we get ready to leave, then I'll give a dismissal to everybody who's at the rails. And then that's how it'll work. So go forth and know that you have been claimed and cleansed by God and that you are beloved. Amen. I invite the line leaders to start making their way up. We'll start filling up the altar rails. Remember your baptism and rejoice. Remember your baptism and rejoice. Remember your baptism and rejoice.
word to the wise. The more you poke it, prod it, push on it, the more it will collapse and break, and then you won't have one anymore. That goes for adults as well as children. God has given you new life. He has filled you and offered to you a water that never runs dry. Let him pour it into you. Let it change your life. Let him do greater things through you. Arise and go in peace. Amen.
God of grace has given us new life. Our God of grace has helped us to understand that we are loved beyond all measure. You are beloved. You are forgiven. You are new. You are washed clean. Go forth and live that new life that God has promised to us. Arise and go in peace. Amen. Sing, come to the water. as we gather here this morning, we know that we are loved. God knew us before we ever knitted in our mother's womb. And so as we gather here, whatever else that may be over the year, whatever you're already know that God is with you and that God is present and that God is faithful. 
Arise and go in peace. Remember your baptism. Be thankful and rejoice. Amen. God, you're just minutes.